Morning, BCC. I'd like to uh, open my message this morning with a photograph of a very famous place. Uh, this photograph that's up on the screen is Ayers Rock in Australia. It's also called Uluru uh, by the local people there. And uh, it's, actually, it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site because it's so famous uh, and so many people have gone to visit it. But yesterday, they shut it. You are not allowed any longer to climb up its slopes uh, and go and visit it. You can visit it from a distance. Uh, you can see it on the horizon. You can go next to it, but you cannot walk up it anymore. And the reason that it's been closed is to respect the beliefs of the Australian Aboriginal Anangu people who live in that area. Uluru is sacred in their traditions and in their beliefs. They believe that the rock sits on what they call a song line, which is like a line of geographical connection through different Aboriginal peoples and sites going back through history. And they believe that all knowledge is accumulated in one's ancestors and that a person's whole ancestry going back through time exists as one thing, which is something they call dream time. They believe creation was caused by heroes traveling across a formless land, creating sacred sites and places. They actually forbid photographs to be taken when you're standing on the rock or pieces of it to be taken away. So would I respect Aboriginal peoples? Absolutely I would. Do I think their culture is beautiful and precious to them? Of course. Would I support Ayers Rock being closed out of respect for Aboriginal culture? Yes, I would. Not least because the land belongs to them. Does all that mean I agree with their spiritual beliefs, however? No, it does not. I think it is possible for people to have even beautiful beliefs, but for those beliefs at the same time to be in error and based on things that are simply not true. Different beliefs lead to different ways of treating the world and treating one another. And what you see behind you is evidence of a belief resulting in an action that now nobody can climb up Ayers Rock. There have been, and there are now, literally hundreds and hundreds of different beliefs and faiths in the world Uh, both now, today, and also in the past. And it can be very difficult to assess which one is true and which ones are just human claims and traditions. I think our present Western culture doesn't really know how to respond to the many, to plural. Although I think in the UK we try hard to respect different faiths and diversity here for the most part, although sometimes we get that wrong. But I think we try. What I think is true to say is that secular people get or grasp that not all beliefs can be true at the same time. And so they respond in one of two ways. This is what I think people do who sort of stand outside faith. If you, if you can do such a thing, and I'm not sure you can, but this is what they would say. They would say either A, none of the beliefs can be true, or B, well, your beliefs must be true for you, but they're not objectively true. They're just personal to you. They're your opinion. However, what is often missed out 
is the perfectly logical possibility that one belief is correct. And actually the sequence of the math sums up there can show you that that is possible. Letter C is obviously correct. But sometimes our culture wants the other letters to be right as well. And we're very good at listening to the loudest voice in the room sometimes, aren't we? Such an idea, and the idea being that one idea is right and the rest are not right, is very frowned upon in our modern Western secular culture um, that wants everything to be true or everything to be kind or everything to be tolerant to everyone all at the same time. So the idea that something can be a clear-cut winner over and above everything else in our present culture seems really arrogant and unfair. I don't know if you know this, but this is now spread even to school sports day in primary schools. They don't award first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth anymore in some schools. They get, you get a prize for participating. You don't get a prize for coming first. Now, I kind of understand some of the logic a little bit behind that, but really, it, it's not true. It's not objectively true. Somebody on that running race came first. And I think there'd be a whole load of people very disappointed, especially in the adult realm, if that were the case. You know, there'd be a whole load of very sorry England rugby fans right now if it wasn't really a win. And it was just a game, and they all got a medal for participating. That kind of just doesn't work, does it? You know, when you go to the Olympics, you just want to see who's the fastest. And it's measured down to the finest degree. But the reality is... When we run races, there is a winner. All views and religious beliefs have to be held in healthy tension between what is really true and what the person says is true. Otherwise, there's a great danger we get disconnected from reality and we stop seeing what is right in front of us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at this question. And the question is this, how can you say that there is only one true faith? How can you say that? And we're going to put Christianity alongside some other faiths and see just what is so distinctive about it. And there are many things that are very distinctive about the Christian faith. Um, Let's just pick a couple of them. Uh, There's a huge, for example, there is a huge internal consistency of the sacred writings of Christianity that we call the Bible. We know that as the Bible. Now, that is simply not the case with other religions who also have sacred writings. In their case, very often, later changes are often a feature. Let me give you some examples. Where there are contradictions in the Quran, for example, in Islam, their religious teachers advise followers to accept the least old of the different interpretations. And so the most original can be overlaid by later changes from later scholars. And that's what they say is what you should accept. Jehovah's Witnesses have made up their own translations of the Bible, which don't always follow the original Greek manuscripts when it doesn't suit them. In the 19th century, uh, the Mormon religion added a book to the Bible called the Book of Mormon. And so you can see that different faiths have different approaches to their sacred writings that is not the same as how we view the Bible. The Bible is also steeped in verifiable, provable history, so much so that archaeology has never contradicted the Bible. 
And that's not a claim that any other faith uh, can have. However, if I were to pick out the top three things which makes Christianity stand out, I would summarize them in these three words. Received, related, raised. Received, related, raised. So let's get into and understand what I mean by those words. Let's look at received, first of all. In all other forms of religion, there is a a form of works or things we have to do or to avoid to give us enough merit to draw close to God. For example, in order to meet the required foundations for what they believe, Muslims must adhere to the five pillars of their faith. Sikhism shares the belief, among, along with Hinduism and Buddhism and Jainism, in a cycle of birth and life and death and rebirth. Rebirth to a higher life happens by something called the law of karma. And that gives the person a higher quality of life next time around based on how they behaved the previous time. So again, it's tied into effort and behavior and works. Christianity, however, says... That we ourselves can never ever be holy enough in and of ourselves to get close to God's holiness. Not even close. And so such efforts would be like trying to climb Mount Everest there. Only to find that the standard of holiness is outside the solar system. And our efforts come to absolutely nothing even though we thought they were great. What happens in Christianity is that God preemptively sends us Jesus from heaven to be our holiness for us. And without Jesus, the holiness gap between us and God is way too vast for us to bridge that across ourselves. So Jesus comes and he takes on himself all the wrong things we've ever said or thought or done, and God punishes all those things in Jesus as he hangs up on the cross. But as that happens, the gap between us and Father God is bridged. Amen? Now, there's no effort possible on our part that can close that gap without the help of Jesus. That's just not spiritually possible. And we have to believe that Jesus is capable of bridging the holiness gap that lies between us and God and then decide to receive it on the inside. We need to receive what Jesus does as that bridge from God to us. And there's no work to be done in that. It's simply to believe that Jesus can do it and then receive it. In fact, let's put it slightly differently. The greatest deed in being being saved by Jesus for us is admitting that there there is no deed for us to have to do. We simply have to understand and accept that Jesus comes for us and he literally comes to find us and save us. The founders of all other religions basically say they are prophets who can help you find God. Jesus is the only one who says, I'm God and I've come to find you. We just need to receive him. Now what this also means is that the good works that you see so many Christians doing and being involved in come from a very different motivation to that of other faiths. If you think about it, in all other faiths, if it works on this kind of Everest principle... Obedience to God is useful. Obedience to God in other religions and other faiths is useful because it gets you to where you need to go. In Christianity, obedience to God is because God is beautiful. 
And because Jesus has done, some, has done something grace-filled towards us that we cannot ever repay, for which we have just this incredible gratitude. And another problem with a sort of merit-based system of faith or, or efforts to draw close to God is that it's just not true of how relationships work. Imagine that uh, when I met Chloe, I said to her, right, you know, we're gonna, we, we might get married in 50 years' time, but for the next 50 years, you need to deliver a set of perfect recipes to me. You need to cook really, really well. I want all my favorites. I want roast. I want, uh, I want crumble. I want all the stuff that I really like. And in 50 years, I might decide to accept you. That's not going to work, is it? I'm going to get a slap for one. And secondly, that isn't how relationships work. That's not how relationships work at all. Relationships work that you have an encounter you meet somebody, within about five minutes, you know whether you trust them or not. That's true, isn't it? We all, we all know that, don't we? When we meet a person, we kind of trust them or don't. Really, that's what really happens. And it's no different with Jesus. When we meet Jesus, we kind of trust him. There's very few people who really have a genuine encounter with Jesus and who don't trust him. Okay? Marriage is a promise to stick by a person in love before you know everything that's going to happen. Not after you find out whether they can or can't earn merit with you. Does that make sense? Are you following me so far? So the very first and the most distinctive thing about Christianity is that it's received. It's not something you earn. It's something that is offered in grace by Jesus who comes to find people who are willing to receive the gift he has to offer. In one sentence, salvation is received, not achieved. A Christian is a person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, that he can forgive all their sins, and that all the righteousness that's inside Jesus gets transferred into them when they decide to follow after Jesus. That's what a Christian is. Have a listen to the different last words of these two different religious leaders. The last words of Buddha before he died were this, strive unceasingly. The last words of Jesus before he died on the cross were, it is finished. Now, who's doing the work of salvation in those two statements? If you follow Buddha, you're doing it. Because you're striving unceasingly, right? If you follow Jesus, Jesus is doing it for you on the cross. And actually, he's finished it on the cross. So all you have to do is receive that finished work from Jesus into you. Amen? Those are two very, very different things. You know, this idea that all, all pathways lead to the same God is not true. The different faiths and the different religions believe foundationally different things. So the first word is received. The second word is related. Related. Uh, the second really distinctive thing about Christianity is that it is a relationship, not a religion. Okay, here, here's a picture that really uh, kind of pleased me in my heart when I saw this. When I saw this story, I thought, oh, this is just brilliant. Such a great story. Um, this guy called Emo, he's the dad uh, lying in the white t-shirt on the left. He's got little, a t- little toddler of the same name called Emo as well. Uh, Emo Senior, Emo Junior. And at sports day uh, in 2017, Emo Junior was tearing in the toddler race towards the finish line. And in fact, he was coming first. And then suddenly, he sees his dad in the crowd... And he breaks off, and he runs to go and give his dad a hug. 
Isn't that just the most awesome story you've ever heard? And then his dad says, no, 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 go and finish the, go and finish the race. And he goes and finishes the race and he comes forth. Okay? That story, that picture, is how God feels about us. You know what? I look at that picture sometimes and I wish that guy was my dad. Like, that's just so appealing, isn't he? He's just lovely. He makes you want to smile. He's just great. What a great man. Love Emo Senior and his little boy too. What a, what a treat that story was to read that. People look at Christianity from the outside. Uh, if they look at it from the outside without knowing much about it, they would call it a religion. That's true. But once you're on the inside and you know uh, that you have a heavenly father that you can call upon, it's definitely a relationship. We are related. Spiritually, we are related to God. And it's one of the most distinctive things about Christianity, that you can know and love God as Heavenly Father. Did you know in Islam, you cannot ever get to know Allah? He's unknowable. You would never ever call him Father. Did you know that when you get to paradise in the, in the Muslim faith, Allah is not there? Jesus tells a parable about what God is like called the prodigal son. You will know, I'm sure you'll know this parable, but in essence, there are two sons in this family. uh, And the younger son says to his dad, listen, I want to go off and uh, give me my inheritance. I need to go and spend it. And so he does that. He takes his money away uh, and he goes to a foreign country and he spends all his money. He's not very wise with his resources. And suddenly he runs out of everything that he needs. And there's a famine. And he's in really desperate straits. And so he thinks to himself, oh, like if I could become uh, at least like a slave or a servant in my father's house, at least I'd have a roof over my head and I'd have some food. And so he decides, he picks himself up and he decides to return to his father. Now the father, instead of being kind of annoyed that his son has wasted all the money and made a mistake, he's just absolutely delighted to see the son again. He's delighted. He's watching at the horizon, and when the sun appears, he throws a cloak round him. He puts a ring on his finger. They have a celebration. He kills, like, the fatted calf and all the rest of it, and they have a big party. Now, the older brother, who has never been away, sulks, and he's in a mood about it. And the reason that the older brother sulks and he's in a mood is because he's kind of got a religious mindset. And what the story shows us is three kinds of relationship to Father God. You can have the rebellious kind of relationship where you run off. And we all know people who've kind of just turned their backs on God and run away. And we kind of look at their lives and wonder how on earth that could possibly work for them. But that's what they've done. And then we've got people who have a relationship like you see up there on the screen where they are in the Father's house and in his blessing. And they run to give him a hug. And the Father loves them. And adores them, and it's, it's wonderful. And then we have the other kind of relationship, which is religious, which is it's a duty-bound, obliged kind of relationship. And it's full of responsibility, but it's got no heart connection in there. And those, the parable of the prodigal son says it exactly as it is. You're either in rebellion, or you're religious, or you are in relationship to Father God. When Jesus teaches us to pray, How does he open it? He opens it by saying, our Father, our Father in heaven. The book of Romans in the Bible uh, teaches us that that when we receive what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we get included in God's family. We get related. We become part of the spiritual connection and we uh, become part of God's family. 
God is a mighty and heavenly king. He's the creator of the cosmos. And even though he's a king, if you imagine this example, even though he's a king, if we are princes and we are princesses in his courts, which we are, we have the right to go to the king at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water. That's the kind of permission we have with our heavenly father. We can run to him with our needs, as Sheila was saying during our worship time. God is so relational that when we follow Jesus, he gives us a part of himself, in fact, a person of himself, who comes and lives on the inside of us, and that person is called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons who make up God, Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is so relational that his son, Jesus, calls us his friends. You don't get that in any other faith at all. You're not friends with God in other faiths. That isn't possible. At the end of our service, we're singing some words to a wonderful song that express some of these truths. And those words say, and listen out for them at the end of the service, no other God can be called a father. No other God can be called a friend. Both of these things are completely true in Christianity. Third thing, Jews say that Jesus just died on the cross, and that was it. Muslims say that it wasn't Jesus who was on the cross in the first place. Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. And so the third and the most distinctive thing about Christianity is that where the founders of all the other faiths are still in their graves, Jesus rose again from the dead, and that he is alive right now. Right now, the evidence is that after Jesus was crucified, all his disciples ran away and hid at first. But when they saw for themselves the risen Lord on that Easter Sunday all those centuries ago, they knew that all Jesus had said and done proved that he was indeed God. One of Jesus' followers even insisted on touching the wounds that Jesus took on the cross to satisfy himself that he, wa- he wasn't seeing a ghost. And to prove to himself that Jesus had flesh and blood and was right there in front of him. Jesus went on to appear to many people, 500 at one point, all at one time. So that completely rules out hallucination. You know, some people who've lost someone individually could be so grief-stricken that they might be forgiven for thinking they've seen that person again. That's not possible in a crowd of 500. Jesus even ate and drank in front of some of the people to prove that his body worked and was real. And then these people who had met with the risen Jesus went on to form the first church. And many of them went and died for their absolutely rock-solid personal experience and conviction that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that he really was the Son of God. No other religious leader in history or now has died in full view of trained soldiers, had a guarded tomb, and then risen again three days later to appear to loads of people. The resurrection is proof of who Jesus is and that he did accomplish what he set out to do. Buddha has not risen from the dead. Muhammad has not risen from the dead. Confucius has not risen from the dead. Krishna has not risen from the dead. Jesus did rise from the dead. I'm not, I'm not being unfair or mean or intolerant by, when I say these things. 
I'm being factual. We can argue about the resurrection all we like, but there's no other explanation that accounts properly for the historical evidence other than that Jesus rose again. And for those of you that still might be doubting that in your minds, I can point you to any number of really great scholarly resources that can help you tackle that issue. Most historians accept that 1 Corinthians 15, which is a part of one of Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 was written within five years of the crucifixion and was definitely in common circulation uh, among the early church by around about AD 40. So really, really tiny gap between the events and the writing. And in it, Paul writes this. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. It says up there that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus is the absolute linchpin of all Christianity. It is what makes Christianity stand out far and above all other faiths and all other religions. And without it, Christianity would just be another set of opinions, traditions, and precious beliefs to a group of people. In fact, Paul, Paul himself recognizes how weird it would be to try and be Christians without the resurrection. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. But not only does Jesus rise from the dead, as followers of Jesus, we are promised that we will also beat death too, just as Jesus has modeled to us. And so the promise for for any that receive Jesus is that they get to overcome death themselves. If you're sitting there this morning and you've received Jesus on the inside of you, you are going to go through physical death, yes, but you are then going to step into eternal life with God in heaven. That is the spiritual fact of what's going to happen to you. That's, that's what's going to happen. If you've not received Jesus or you've not still, you've still, well, if you've not received Jesus, you still have an opportunity to do that. In fact, I'm going to pray a prayer at the end that will allow you to make that decision if you want to. Jesus' resurrection is our passport to the other side of physical death. And he's shown us it. He's done it himself. He went first. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? It's John 3.16, isn't it? And in John 3.16, we have all three of these words. Received, related, raised. We have these three words. Let me show you. uh, It says, for God so loved the world. Well, that's that's related right there. God's love for us is without question. That he gave his one and only son. Well, gifts are to be received. You hope that when you give a gift, that the person at the other end of that would receive that gift. Christmas would be very weird if we just said, nope, not having any gifts this year, not receiving a thing. That would just be weird. Gifts are designed to be received. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life because what? They are raised. Salvation is received. We get related to God as Heavenly Father. We are raised after death just like Jesus. Received, related, raised. Cast your mind back to our opening question just a moment, which says this, or asks this, how can you say there is only one true faith? Well, we've looked at three things that make Christianity unique. 
There's lots of them, but let the, the top three, if you like, that salvation is received, not earned by works, that Christianity is a relationship, it's not a religion, that Jesus gets raised again after his death to, uh, to, into eternity, and so do we. But if these three very distinctive things are still not enough for, uh, to answer this question in your minds, let me just give you one more thing to consider before we have a response to our message and our worship team come back in, in just a moment. Did you know that Jesus himself asked God if there could be another way other than the cross? Are you aware of that? So Jesus goes to uh, that place in the upper room and they have the last supper with the disciples. And then they go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of the questions that Jesus asks is, he asks it in prayer to God. He says, God, is there another way that this can be done? That bridging of that gap between you and them, that you are asking me to fill, Lord God, Heavenly Father, can that be done another way? He says it in this language. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And what he means by cup is, he, it, cup is a, a word to, 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 to say suffering. Because he's, he's looking down the lens of tomorrow in his mind. Because overnight and in the morning, he's going to be taken to that trial and have a flogging and then go to the cross. And he knows that that's God's will for him. And what he's saying is, is that possible for that to be taken away? In other words, are there other ways for people to get to God? And God says, well, it doesn't say anything. God just is silent. And we know that God's saying to Jesus, unfortunately not. All the other proposals for people to connect with me aren't going to work in comparison with you going to the cross, Jesus. They're just not. And so Jesus ends up with a stony silence from heaven, and he knows what God's answer is. God did not intervene. God did not offer the solutions to human salvation that are proposed by other religions. He didn't do that. Instead, God allowed Jesus to go to the cross because it was the only way to make Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. And no other way is possible. I'm going to ask our worship team if you will return and just come back and join me up on the platform. Thank you so much. Just start playing whenever you're ready. That's great. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, team. In praying about today's message, my sense, my sense for our second service this morning is there might be one or two of you that You've come because somebody's invited you, or you've come because you've seen on social media that we're unpacking this question. And you'd like an opportunity, frankly, to step into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to offer us that opportunity now. I'm going to just pray a prayer, and I'm going to give you that opportunity. And if you pray that prayer, we've got some stuff for you, and I'd love for you to come and see me at the end of the service to receive one of these blue bags. And our, our hosting team and prayer team will help you with that. So should we just bow our heads and let's pray together. Remember, this prayer is for people who are deciding to follow Jesus for the first time. Or perhaps you're, you've been away from Jesus for a very, very long time. And you've come to church and, and you just know you need to get back in, the, in that relationship with him. And you've not had that relationship with him for ages and you've heard today and you've remembered why Jesus is the real deal. You've understood it clearly, maybe for the first time. 
And so this prayer is for you to pray under your breath, just where you're sitting. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. We're just going to ask you to think about this prayer and say these words if that was you. So just pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I just receive you into my heart right now. I know that I can't get to heaven in my own effort. I know that the gap is too big between me and Father God, but Jesus, I receive you. I want to follow after you for the rest of my days. I don't want to make a mess of my life, and I do want to go to heaven. So I just receive you right now. Amen. If you said that prayer and you meant that in your heart and you're coming back to Jesus or you maybe even said that for the first time, I would be really honored at the end if you would come and find me and we will give you one of these. I'd like to do that. I really would. For the rest of us, there's some responses to what we've heard. You know, when you receive something as a gift, what, what do you normally do when you get something as a gift? You say thanks, don't you? You say thanks. I remember when I got Christmas gifts, my mum made me write a letter at Christmas. Thank Auntie Polly for what she's given me. Gratitude is a great response to receiving a gift. If we're related, if we're related to God now because of what he's done for us, then really we can kind of praise him. We're connected now. And the people you're sitting around are kind of like your brothers and sisters in the spiritual family. You're alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're raised again, and that we're not going to die, but we'll die a physical death, sure. But we're going to go on to glory after that. You know, Elsie, she lived a great 99 years here in BCC. And we're going to celebrate her life on Monday week. But I know where she is right now. She's with Jesus. And she's celebrating. She's, she's led a good life. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to encourage you in something. We're going to sing a great song right now. We're going to sing a great song. And this is the song that have, has got the words, no other God can be called a father. No other God can be called a friend. And if some of these statements up there are true for you, or that we saw a moment ago, if they are true, I'm going to encourage you to come to the front and just worship God. If you're a person that's received something from Jesus in your life, a great way to respond to that this morning would to have, have the courage to come out and worship him at the front. There'll be others alongside you. You will not be on your own. I, for one, am going to worship him right here. If you know that you're going to go to heaven because Jesus has paid the price for you on the cross, come and worship him as we sing.